podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to The Last Word on Spurs here. Thank you for downloading us during this difficult time as we continue to fight and battle COVID-19. We're taking a trip back to the late 80s, early 90s, where we've now got another Tottenham Hotspur legend joining us on The Last Word on Spurs. Delighted to also say, firstly, back alongside me is Jason McGovern. Jace, how are you keeping? How are you coping? All right, mate. Enjoying a bit of garden leave and uh, got a few days of sunshine, which makes life a bit easier. But uh, like everyone else, just uh, just hoping that we're out of this as soon as possible, mate. Yep. Amen to that. Amen. We're delighted to welcome, as I said in the intro, a Tottenham Hotspur legend to the last word on Spurs. Spurs through and through, playing some of our best sides we've seen over the last 30 or so years. Started as an attacking midfielder, matured into a holding midfielder. 277 appearances, 22 goals between 1984 to 1998. Part of the Spurs that won the FA Cup in 91 and also helped the club achieve a third place finish in the old Division 1 in 1989 to 90 season. We've got David Howes with us. David, how are you and how are you keeping? Very good. Thanks, Ricky. I'm all right. Lovely. Fantastic. Dave, like I said, thank you for joining us. I know it's difficult circumstances at the moment. A family, all good from your end at the moment? Yes, yeah, I've got a four-year-old who's obviously off school, so it's interesting schooling him here at uh, home. Um, I've got two older children as well, who are uh, ones at university, who's, who's, who's obviously back at home. And so, yes, it's a busy time, um, even though obviously we're not going into work, still got lots of things to be cracking on with. So, yeah, they're busy days. Um, I, I'm ready for bed at the end of them, to be honest. <laughs> uh, what? What stage, David, do you show the, the boy the uh, the 91 Cup final? How many years before you... Uh, <laughs> yeah, he'll, um, he's getting gradually introduced to bits and pieces. That something, Somebody put something on Twitter the other day where I scored a couple of goals and uh, and he did that one, so I made sure he saw that. And he's got his Spurs kit already? Of course, of course, yeah. He was very lucky, actually. He came to the last game at White Hart Lane uh, when he was just two. And the end, he was running around on the pitch. Darren was kind enough to Darren, the groundsman, was kind enough to let him have a run around. And uh, he, he did a similar thing after the Inter Forever Legends game. He came down onto the pitch at the end as well and had a little trot around. So he's he's been very lucky so far. Bless him. You might get a game by the time we get back, David. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen. Let's start, David, with your fabulous Spurs career. Growing up in Guildford, who did you support, and who were the players that you hoped to emulate growing up into football? Well, I was a Spurs fan. My dad was a Spurs fan, uh, so we had no choice, my brother and I. Um, he took us to our first game in 1974 at home against Coventry. It was a one-all draw and Martin Peters got the goal. And I remember being in the enclosure in the old West Stand, just right, just along from the tunnel where the players used to come out in, around the corner. And uh, I remember Ralph Coates being sub and warming up right, warming up right in front of us. And uh, I was trying to get an autograph, and he was too busy, so he didn't sign. But uh, yeah, that, that was uh, that was uh, our team. And um, obviously, you know, all the players from that era, <clears throat> the ones who I still see now up at the ground, you know, it still makes me go a little bit nervous when I see them when I walk into the room. And Martin Chivers is there, and Pat Jennings is there, and. I try and keep it cool, but for me, it's a massive moment again every time I see them, even though it's every other week. But um, yeah, as, as I sort of got more interested in, in football and understood it a bit more, Glenn Hoddle was the player for me, um, late 70s and, and, and most of the early 80s. Uh, I think mostly everybody who knew anything about football, and especially Spurs people, wanted to be Glenn Hoddle. 
Fair, fair to say, it's true. Out of interest, David, for you, what was the pathway that took you to Tottenham and when did you actually sign the schoolboy forms? Dad was approached by a scout after I played the county game up at uh, Roehampton, playing for Surrey, and the Tottenham scout approached my dad after the game. And um, Obviously, as I just said, he's a Spurs fan, so he could barely contain his excitement. The scout approached him and said, could I do what I fancy coming up for a, for a trial in the, uh, in the school holidays up at Chesham? And we did that. Dad drove up. There was no M25 in those days, so we drove up straight through the middle of London and uh, up to up the A10 to Chesham Training Ground, which was a magical place. Um, and it's, it's 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 still sorely missed now, even though we've got an incredible training ground. Chesham was was Tottenham as much as White Hart Lane for me. And um, the trial itself was was a daunting thing for me. There was you know about sixty boys there, London boys, big strong lads. Um, and I'd not really seen the like of that uh, down in leafy Surrey. And it was terrifying, to be honest. Uh, I'd somehow got through the trial um, and got invited back to regular training. And that was when I was about, I must have been about 12 at that stage. Uh, so training regularly at, at, at White Hart Lane in the old ball court on a Monday night uh, with Robbie Stepney and Ron Henry and legendary coaches they were and great men. And uh, that, that developed into then Tuesdays and Thursdays and at 14, you get, um, if you're still in their plans, you get asked if you want to sign associated schoolboy forms, which keeps you attached to the club from 14 to 16. And then at 16, obviously, you get the decision whether they're going to take you on full time. Did you have a chance to join anyone else as a, as a kid or was, was Tottenham the only offer there as such? Because I'd have thought Chelsea and such would have been strongly scouting in those particular areas as well and, and Crystal Palace and things like that. Yeah, um, Crystal Palace was certainly one club who, who um, my dad spoke to. Once I was at Spurs, obviously, there was no, I, I wasn't interested in going anywhere else, didn't want to be anywhere else. Um, dad was quite careful anyway. Um, he didn't He didn't really let me play 11 aside, and there was no small-sided football back then, of course. He didn't, really, didn't want me to play 11 aside at all, really, and, and, and just wanted me to play and have fun. Um, and it was kind of against his wishes that I played for my first 11 aside team at age 10. And um, he he didn't really want me to because he didn't think it was great for young players' development to go play on big pitches, big goals and, and an 11 aside. And it obviously ahead of his time with dad because he's it, completely right. You know, it's not a great way to develop playing on, playing on great big pitches with, with, with those sort of uh, great big goals and stuff like that. So... He was right, but then I, all my mates were doing it, so I wanted to go and do it. And in the end, I just uh, we just did it, and um, that followed on with school football and stuff like that, district and county, and and, and then to Spurs. So uh, yeah, it was it, there were there were other clubs around, and obviously the local clubs, um, but um, well, the, the more localish ones. To, there's not many around here, to be honest. And sorry, uh, but ones you mentioned were, were were all around and had scouts. Um, but once I was at Spurs, yeah, I wasn't interested in going anywhere else. Those early 80s were a real boom for Spurs with FA Cup wins, a UEFA Cup win. And of course, 85 for me is still the, the title that we should have had that got away from us. Joint top with 13 games left, nine of which are at home. But we end up finishing with Everton winning the title that season. But as a youth team player at the time... When, when the club's having such great success, does that make the route to the first team seem even harder and, and more problematical for you? Or, or do you have that enthusiasm of, I can't wait to, to, to join this, this type of side? Um, yeah, it, it, we had 
a lot of homegrown players in that team, if you recall, um, from 84, 83, 84, 85, you had the likes of Gary Brook and then um, Ali Dick was coming through and Richard Cook, um, Paul Miller was already in the team and, and Glenn, of course. So there was, there was and Chrissy Uton and a lot of really like homegrown players. Mark Bowen was Mark Bowen, in, yeah. was in and around Cold. the team and, and yeah, yeah, and again, Crook and then this and Mickey Hazard and lots and lots of really good quality. So it always gave you hope that you know these these players had all come through and were all getting a chance. So uh, yeah, you know, that's all you ever want to do is get in the first team as soon as soon as you understand football, you want to you want to play in the first team and play with your heroes. So. Um, yeah, it was. It didn't look a million miles away, to be honest. When I think um, once I went full time, I really took off. It, I, I flourished being a full being full time. Some people um, it doesn't suit them so much, but for me, it it really uh, it really suited me. And I, I think the strides I made in my first five or six months full time uh, were massive. And I went from being someone who definitely wasn't first pick to be an apprentice. I was probably about five or six down the line. Uh, but I got an apprenticeship, and um, after about five or six months, the club um, offered me a pro. They they they, um, they obviously recognised how, how quickly I'd, I'd um, taken to being a pro, uh, to train every day, and offered me a professional contract um, just after my my seventeenth uh, birthday. Dave, you made your debut February twenty second, nineteen eighty six, away to Sheffield Wednesday. Coming into a team as a young striker that hadn't won or even scored a goal in its previous six league games, did Shreve see you as almost a kind of last resort or a try anything selection? Possibly, yeah. I don't think necessarily last resort. I'd been in and around the squad quite a bit um, without getting any minutes. Um, and I think Shreve and John Pratt, who was his assistant at the time, again, were very, very happy to bring young players through. Both of them had been youth team managers uh, at the club. And so... Um, they're, they're, they were aware of the quality of the young players that Spurs have always produced, and so they're very keen to, to get players in. But as you as you rightly said, um, we hadn't scored. Uh, we hadn't scored five or six games, so obviously hadn't won. Um, it was a real tough period, and so yeah, I think they just looked looked into the youth team as I, as I was uh, still a youth team player there, still scoring lots of goals and, and said it's about time, give them a chance, you know, what have we got to lose almost, yeah. The team that day, Ray Clements, Paul Allen, Mitchell Thomas, Gary Mabbott, Paul Miller, Steve Perryman, John Tiozzi, Mark Falco, yourself, Gary Stevens, and Chrissy Waddle. So there's some big, big personalities in there and some big internationals, but just how big an influence was, was Stevie Perryman and the standards that, that he set for young players at the time. Massive. Stevie Stevie was um, not just captain by name, he, he, everything, example of how he trained, how he played, how he conducted himself. Um, he was a proper leader, proper uh, players man. You know, he would, he would go into battle for the players uh, with the club, at the hierarchy of the club for things that the, the players um, deserved and should, have, should be getting and... Um, he was just a magnificent captain. I think he says that he learned a lot from the captains who he played under and who he, who he saw around the club. Uh, people like Dave Mackay and Alan Mullery, um, who were all great leaders of men. And uh, Stevie was, was 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 an absolute magnificent captain. Uh, great, great player as well. But, uh, he, you know, full of encouragement for younger players as well. Um, just, just a great guy to have, to have at your club. It always amazes me. 
864 games and he never gets ever gets a vote in our in our best ever you know players when these polls are done and you think he was good enough to play 864 times but he's never never in these greatest sides I, I find that amazing he was in mine <laughs> good good enough he's for us. Well. <laughs> Dave we finally won and you scored on your debut you justified your selection and then you don't play again that season how frustrating was that given the successful debut yeah, it was quite frustrating. As I was a youth team player, um, Glenn Oddle didn't play at Sheffield Wednesday. It was a it was a snowy, icy pitch, um, and Glenn had a bit of a knee injury, so they didn't risk him. He was fit for the next week's game, which was at home against Liverpool in a live TV game. So it was quite a big deal. Um, Glenn came back into the team, and I was I was sub. There was only one sub back in them days, and I was the sub. Uh, we lost to Liverpool, and I didn't get on. I think we then went on a, re- a, a really terrific run and didn't lose for the rest of the season, if my memory serves me right, or uh, had a really good run anyway, and um, I didn't get back into the side and never, never got back on, didn't play again until the next season. So, yeah, it was frustrating, but um, the other the other side of the coin was I was still very young, um, and uh, really, I, you know, I was just delighted to have been able to get that game that season. It was miles ahead of when I thought I'd be involved in the first team. Peter Shreves leaves that summer. David Pleat takes over and we have that, that season which sees Clive score 49. Nico Klassen also joins that season. We play some fantastic football that season. Play 57 games, another cup final. But but for yourself, there's there's just that one one appearance which was a, a nil-nil draw at Luton. So is there a feeling now that, is there still that frustration that you won't get a chance or is, is there still the belief that, no, keep working hard and, and that chance will come through? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you, I still young player, still a young player. Um, that was a bit unfortunate. You know, we, the, the system changed, and we we're playing one up front. Um, Clive was injured for that Luton game, and I think it was the only game we missed all season. And uh, I played up front on my own. I'd never played up front on my own. It was a completely alien thing to me. Uh, I don't think I had a kick, to be honest. It, it, it was the game just bypassed me. Um, Clyde, Luton were a decent side then as well, weren't they? Luton were a good side, and uh, yeah, nil nil was a fair result. Um, but you know, I didn't have a didn't have a sniff at goal, um, and it was frustrating. And I, I think because they were playing that system, that kind of put David Pleat off me pretty much for the rest of the time he was there. To be honest, because he he obviously found a system that worked uh, with the players he had and. The fact that I'd never played as, as a as a lone striker um, went against me, to be honest. And uh, no, the, no one was going to break in past Clive anyway because he just kept scoring. But uh, it would have been nice to have been in and around it a bit more. It was Terry Venable, Dave, that following the sack in a David Pete that showed some faith in you. Again, following that nine-game league run without a win with a few sub appearances. But you did start the Boxing Day game against West Ham, a 2-1 win. Your first appearance at White Hart Lane. And what a fixture to play in. What did you think of that game? Uh, that was the, the, the looting game in the, under David Pleat was at White Hart Lane as well. So that was my home debut. Right. Um, okay. So the West Ham game was at Luton. One was nil-nil and, and was a bit of a damp squid in terms of uh, nothing really happened. So it was nice to play in a full-blooded London derby uh, against West Ham on Boxing Day. They're the sort of games that you really, you know, you really want to be involved in. And I played I had a really good game. As you said, we won. Uh, we 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 beat them beat them well, and um, that was more like it for me, you know, to be to be part of that sort of uh, 
that performance and that victory at home with the fans and and yeah, I felt felt like a proper Tottenham player after that. And that, that was a bumpy ride as as Terry had come in rebuilding the side and. I remember you coming on in one of my most haunting memories of, of Spurs at that time, that, that infamous FA Cup defeat at Port Vale. And, and perhaps much like today, it just highlighted the, the problems at the club and just how, we, how far we'd actually slipped from those early 80s. And here we are just in 87 and we're being knocked out of the cup by Port Vale and, and struggling in the, the bottom half of the league. Yeah, yeah, it was a terrible day. I mean, the... the Pitch, classic cup. Uh, the conditions were ripe for an FA Cup upset. You know, a team, a first division team, not playing with great, any sort of great form. Um, new manager going to a, well, they're probably a division three where they at the time, as you just said, was awful. It was just, you know, just completely, the mud was coming up over your boots. I think they flooded yeah. the pitch and it was the middle of winter anyway. Yeah, they didn't need to need to do anything with it. It was dreadful. But um, you know, listen, they they deserved to beat us on the day. We didn't play well, and they adapted to the pitch better. They, they weren't a bad side. I think they had a young Robbie Earl in their team and a couple of other players who went on and, and had good careers. So um, yeah, it was just it was it was a proper learning thing experience for me um, and for a couple of the other young players involved. I think Razor Rabbit might have been involved, um, and yeah, it was it was a you know a real. Real, I hadn't, hadn't really been part of anything like that before. Obviously, when you're playing for Spurs or whatever level, whether it's reserves, youth team, you expect to win every game. And, and uh, when you don't, you're disappointed. But when to play in a high-profile game like that and, and get turned over and become uh, a bit of a laughing stock and, and, and receive all that, um, that that goes, you know, the... the uh, it's a real, real eye opener to that side of football, and uh, I've not, not, not been involved in anything like it. And there you are, two years after you'd made your debut, but you've still actually only started six games at that stage. And so, how soon does the doubts come, and, and do you start thinking of a move away, or, or do you still keep that belief two years on that that, that big opportunity will come? Well, as you said, Terry Venables had taken over by this stage, and, and I think if Fleet had still been there, then I would have moved on sooner. Um, I don't think Fleet was was ever the type of manager to to put faith in players coming through from the youth team. He, he wanted to sign players, he wanted to bring players in, uh, and the turnover of players when he was when he was manager was very was vast and upset the rhythm of everything. I think he lost Glenn. Glenn was probably going anyway, to be honest, but Clive. Um, so Clive, um, lots of lots of young players like you just mentioned that earlier in the in the chat. People like Ian Crook and Mark Bowen, the, the underbelly of the team, the, the players who would come through and, and um, you know, he sold a lot of them as well. A lot of them left the club, and so it, it, uh, proper Tottenham players, you know, proper Tottenham people who it's, you know that those guys come through and and. and they're the natural successors to people like Glenoddle, and 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 I think Cleet was reluctant to, to give them chances, and actually sold a lot of them, um, made a lot of signings that didn't quite work out. So Terry was at the club by the time the period that you're speaking of, and Terry would speak to the young players um, a lot, encourage us a lot, and. Um, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say, right, I'm going to give you a chance, but you'd say if you keep your head down, you've got a chance. If you don't, if you don't fancy it here, you can go. No problem at all. He said, I, I, I can get rid of you, no problem. 
or you can get your head down because I think you've got a chance. And that was that was the, the message that I wanted to hear, you know. And uh, um, no, I, I, I really enjoyed working with Terry, and um, I think most of the players who ever worked with him would say the same. Twelve more substitute appearances day followed as we broke the UK transfer record to sign Paul Gascoigne that summer. Paul Stewart also joined, one of which you saw score the eventual winning goal at home to Middlesbrough. But it wasn't until January of that season that we actually got on an actual run, starting games. Did you then start to feel, Dave, that you were becoming a genuine first-team player? Yeah, probably that was my breakthrough season. Um, I think I started um, to play. I was always a midfield player, as most, most of the lads are, to be honest, at school and district and county and your Sunday team because that's where the best players play in midfield. But at Spurs, I was always a striker for some reason, um, just always was. Uh, we were short at, at Highbury in a reserve team game and Doug Livermore asked me if I could play in midfield and I said, well, yeah, I'm actually a midfielder. So, <laughs> yeah, of course I can go and play in midfield. And, and to be honest, that was that was pretty much it. I never really played up, up top again. Um, did well in midfield, learned to... to be a bit more responsible in that role than, than some of the other players. And to be honest, that's what you have to do as a young player. You have to find a way to get, to get into the team and stay in the team. And I would have played anywhere and, and did play in a lot of different positions. Um, and then the idea is obviously once you, you you play in position and you make yourself very hard to leave out and then obviously the form of the team helps. And as you said, we went on a good run towards the end of that season. I was in the team and, uh, and I pretty much stayed in from then. Yeah, I can, I can remember that run. Um, one of those games was a was a famous five 0 win at the Old Den, which, which for the, us fans behind the goal is probably not the best venue to to go and win five 0 at. I can assure <laughs> you. Yeah. After the game, it was well, it wasn't the easiest time to to get back to New Cross. Terrifying but, place. Terrifying. Uh, <laughs> Terry Burlock and all that there in those days as well. Oh, it's an awful place, Millwall. Yeah. But but that summer, of course, you'd had the excitement of the arrival of Gary Lineker coming in from Barcelona. And yes, Tottenham were able to go to Barcelona and buy top players those days. But we also sadly lost Chrissy Waddle to Marseille that summer. But another player that arrived was Pat Van den Hel, or Psycho, as he was affectionately known. <laughs> Just how tough was Pat? And did you ever think you'd see him become a front-page celebrity during his time with Mandy Smith? <laughs> uh, a good character, Pat. Scary, is it? You know, I think he was a lot of posture, and then, and then uh, he was a bloody good player. You know, I think it's yeah. You what you need to say he was a good player, good defender, decent right-footed left back. Who, um, yeah, no one, no one used to get the better of him. He was uh, good going forward, just a good player. But yeah, good lad, good character, a bit mad, a bit crazy. But uh, I liked Pat a lot. I had a lot of time for him. He got sent off in that Luton game, didn't he? Which, which actually turned Paul Stewart's career really round at Tottenham because I think Stewie dropped into midfield and scored twice that day. But I can remember that foul thinking, oh, that's, that's red card. Because <laughs> we had, I think Naeem had been sent off that day as well. Where we right, yeah. And then ended up beating Luton at home. But yeah, he was a tough boy, Pat. But we definitely made progress that season, finishing third, although we weren't really in a title race. Gary Lineker scoring 24 times in his first season, the ultimate penalty area goal scorer. But that's that's vastly different, isn't he, from from modern day number nines? Yeah, you could say that. I'm sure Lineker was good enough to, he would have adapted um, whatever he needed to be, he would have been. I, I think he probably, his game changed during his career and um, he did what he had to do. But as far as a, an actual you know, goal scorer, he's probably the best that I played with. Um, 
leave for one on one, he'd rarely miss. If he, you know, if he didn't score, he'd get brought down for a penalty. Um, he, he was as good as I ever saw one on one on a goalkeeper. And when you needed a goal, he would more than likely come up with one. Um, I think his his, his other all round play is a little bit underrated as well. Now I remember him being decent with his back to goal. He would show up and, and get involved with with the build up. It wasn't just about being in in, in, in the box. I think he, he was better than. Him. Um, a lot of people give him credit for in, in, in that area. Dave, 1991, fair to say this was your best season, both individually and being part of a Spurs team. Although little was done in the way of transfers that summer, only the late Justin Edinburgh arriving, with Gaza dragging us through the early cup rounds, including that win at Portsmouth and a supposed easy quarter-final at Notts County. But to all of us, those semi-final memories will live on forever. What was the feeling like of that first cup semi-final at Wembley against that lot from down the road, who were a great side then, league champions just losing the once and ending their hopes of yet another double? Yeah, I mean, we, we'd played them twice in the league. The game at Highbury was, was a bit of a non-event, nil-nil. Um, and at Wild Lane, we absolutely battered them. We really, really, um, really, really played well and, and got the better of them. And if it wasn't for Seaman, we, we, we'd have won the game comfortably. He was outstanding. So we had that belief that um, even though, as you mentioned, they, they'd, they'd, cut, they'd virtually won the league by then anyway, um, we knew that, uh, you know, we could, we could definitely get the better of them. You know, if we'd have taken our chances on that day, well, we could have won three or four, we could have won comfortably. So we, we had no fear. We obviously respected them massively as, as a great team with a great manager. But, um, you know, we, we we felt like we had the, the tools and the players that, that, that could really hurt them um, as long as we could set up properly and, and stop them from scoring. Gazza, of course, he was injured during that quarter-final win and he was rushed back for the semi-final. How much belief was there, Dave, that going into that semi-final, you know, and did that really hugely increase with the return of Gazza for that? Yeah, definitely. You, you, you want your best players and he was obviously our best player. He was an incredible player, Gazza. Um, nowhere near fully fit, but um, you'd still have him out there. He, um, he had, he'd had been carrying the hernia for a number of weeks before the quarterfinal, and they were patching him up and sending him out. And I think it coincided with, a, with our dip in league form. You know, um, you know, we'd, we'd started the season really well and we were in amongst it after about 12 games, right, right up there in the top three and, and challenging. But um, that form fell away in the league after Christmas, and that was that was a lot. Of that was down to the fact that I was carrying this injury. But uh, you know, he was incredible that year, really, absolutely incredible. Dominating games as much as I've ever seen an individual player dominate them. You know, he he would he could he could literally win the game virtually all on his own. He was, he was outstanding. How good was your view of that that free kick? Because we tore Woolwich apart, didn't we, inside those first ten minutes, two nil up, but the the free kick, I can remember being behind it because it was, we, we had the tunnel end at Wembley, our supporters, and it was down the yeah. far end. And just the, the sight of that pinging into the top corner was 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 something joy. And then just how nervous was those next 70 minutes because they really came back at us strongly, didn't they, before Lynx got the, the sooner on the break? Yeah, yeah. Um, I kind of claim an assist for the for the free kick for Gaza's goal because... Um, <laughs> I was I played I played as a, this is just like um, I said earlier about playing any position you're told to. Um, I was fulfilling a role on the left hand side of midfield that day, 
because we'd worked on on their fullbacks and trying to stop them getting forward. And so um, I was playing on the left of, of, of five in midfield, trying to stop Lee Dixon getting forward and, and occupying him. And Paul Stewart playing midfield, played the ball out to me, and he he overhit it slightly, but was caught quite late. So um, he's, he's pinged out and he's going over my head. And um, I spotted that he'd been fouled and heard the whistle. So I caught the ball and ran back in and I spotted it for Gaza. And uh, I think Gaza, first of all, was just going to clip it into, into an area. And uh, I said to him, what are you going to do? And he, he said, I'm not sure. I think I might just, just, just clip it in, whip it in. Uh, so I said, no, just smash it, mate. Just smash it. And Lineker ran back from, uh, from behind the wall and said exactly the same. He said, just smash it. He said, anything could happen. Just smash it. So Gaza takes this like Bob Willis style run up, about 20 yards run up. Um, and I'm just following him thinking, well, you know, I could take a deflection, could come off, the, could bounce off the keeper. So I'm following him. So I don't actually see him strike the ball. I see it as it passes the wall. It kind of whistles past my ear into the top corner, and obviously that's uh, that's the stuff that the legend's made of. Mm. And your famous assist then to your day. Exactly. Yeah, so I'm kind of claiming that. <laughs> Why not? I mean, then came the final, the huge Gaza injury, going behind from the resulting free kick, and to make matters even worse, Gary Lineker sees a penalty saved by Crossley at half time. How much had the confidence taken a dent with seemingly everything going against us so far in that game? Yeah, um, we, we'd had a goal disallowed as well, which shouldn't have been. And yeah, you're right, everything had gone against us. We'd lost our best player, our talisman, you know, the man who'd, who'd pretty much single-handedly got us there. Um, but there was a big, a, bit, a lot of concern for Gaza in the change room at half-time. Um, you know, he wasn't there. He'd gone off to hospital straight away. Um, so lots of lots of concerned people just asking where, how is he, what's, what's the news? Um Terry Venables was was brilliant as he always was and was calm, um, and said just said to us, look, you know you can you can go one of two ways here. Everyone's going to expect you to fold like a pack of cards because you've lost your man. Um, he said, I believe in you. He said, you know you're all top top players. You're here for a reason. Um, it's a real opportunity for you to to go and prove to to everybody that you're not a one man team. You can do it for him. You can find whatever reason you want to do it. But you know, this is this. You've got well, as it turned out, we had extra time as well. But he said you've got half of football now, which could that could define your careers. So um, there was no tactical no master strokes or anything like that. We actually changed a couple of bits on the pitch ourselves when Gaza got injured. Naeem came on and and played um, in Gaza's position. But we, uh, we we changed that a little bit and, put, and moved him out to the left uh, of the of the midfield. And it actually gave us a bit of a bit of a better balance because I was um, playing up against Nigel Clough. That was my detail in the game to try and nullify his effect, and it made us a bit narrow. And I think that their fullbacks were were, were having a lot of joy getting forward. Um, Gary Charles, for instance, on the edge of the box when Gaza fouled him, got injured. Um, and obviously, Stuart Pearce doesn't need a lot of uh, or didn't need a lot of him to get forward anyway. The great. Great attacking fullback. So it actually got, it helped us in, in, in a way. You know, obviously, you want Gazza on the pitch. He's an amazing player. But just making that little tweak. Um, and that's where it's important to have leaders on the pitch, players on the pitch who can spot things like that. That didn't come from the manager. It came from me and Stewie in the middle there. Um, and, and Gary Mabbott as well. So we just tweaked it a little bit. And, and then it actually worked out well for us. And, and we ended up having a nice balance and, and a shape. But we actually played really well, as you said. You know, we've got a penalty which um, 
goal we saved and we should have should have equalised when it wasn't offside. And so yeah, um, we'd, we'd, we we felt we'd played okay and uh, we felt we were pretty you know we were very much in the match. And so um, we didn't need to change too much. And I thought again, second half we went out and played ever so well again and, and dominated extra time as well. Yeah, and it was Stewie, of course, who got us that deserved equaliser with a, a really well-taken goal. And then karma for 1987 with Gary Mabbott's own goal giving Coventry a win. It's it's just fate always seems to do it. Gary forces Des Walker into an own goal to win that trophy. So what's that feeling like when that referee just blows a final whistle and you, you go up what was then the, the famous stairs to lift a trophy? And, of course, you have the... The, obli- the obligatory uh, open top bus ride around Tottenham the following day. Yeah, yeah, so it was all amazing memories. Uh, I didn't know it was an own goal. I didn't realise it was an own goal until much later. I thought Mabsy had scored because um, I challenged for the for the ball at the near post um, and it got flicked on, and I didn't see who how it had gone in. I just saw it had gone in. So I'm thinking, I was actually thinking he hasn't made much of a celebration there. If that's me and I score what looks like the winner and extra time I'm off around the stadium. So it did surprise me a little bit that he hadn't, he hadn't, that Mavs hadn't celebrated so much. Um, but then obviously later on, I learned that, that unfortunately for Des, he'd got the final touch. Uh, I remember at the final whistle, just sinking to my knees and just thinking, thinking of when I was a boy, really about cup finals and, and how much they always meant to every, every school boy who, who used to get up early Saturday morning and do the biggest day of the season, wasn't it? Cup final. It always, always to win always, the cup in the league. Yeah, always was. And uh, I just quickly thought back to that and then just thought of my family up in, in, in the stands and, and how they must be feeling and um, friends. And, and then you know, going up the steps, I thought, I'm going to get near the front here because they always show that picture of the, of the captain lifting the trophy. So I want to be quite near the front. <laughs> to always be in that picture. So I wormed away in behind Eric and it was Mavsy, Eric, then me. So... Uh, Every time that gets shown, I'm always as a 22-year-old me in the background with a smile on my face. Hello and welcome back to The Last Word on Spurs, joined by the brilliant David Howes here for this special Last Word on Spurs show. Dave, I want to ask you, the end of that season that played out in very strange circumstances, news of Gaza Sal to Lazio emerging and Spurs appearing to be in real financial trouble with Robert Maxwell seemingly to the main buyer for the club. What was it like at that time and did you feel an extra pressure during that cut run because of all of it surrounding what was going on? I think it was clear to the players that there were financial problems, uh, but Terry Venables was brilliant and never mentioned it, never spoke about it. It, was, it, was, it wasn't, you know, he, he, he shielded us from that sort of thing very, very well. Um, it was clear that Gaza had been, the deal had been done for Gaza. He knew that the, the cup final was his last game. Um and we were all quite concerned um, as to you know, our futures and the future of the club, of course. You know, so very, very strange times. Uh, as you rightly mentioned, Maxwell was was um, was mooted as as the potential buyer. Which, goodness me, I mean, you know, in hindsight, such a such a great thing that he didn't. But um, you know, it, it, it was just just very strange we couldn't understand it we couldn't understand how it got to that uh, you know I, I knew Irving Scholar very well and had a terrific relationship with him he, he was such a, a massive Spurs fan as well as the chairman um, but you know it, it was obviously a few um, or more than a few business decisions had, had gone awry 
Um, and yeah, it, 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 it was a mess. It really was a mess. And um, that summer was a bit, it was very strange actually. And uh, I think we probably should have seen from, you know, as you said, at the start of 1991, uh, we should have been investing in players. We should have been strengthening the squad. We had the, the potential to challenge for the league title, but we didn't make any signings. Justin came in on loan um, and then signed halfway through the season. But if we could have added a couple of top quality players at the start of 1991 season, um, you know, I think we could have we could have been challenging Arsenal and really been in amongst it. But uh, that was obviously looking back at it now. That was a sign that the money wasn't there to do that. So that's why we didn't. And during that summer, of course, Terry eventually teams up with Alan Sugar to buy the club. I'm not even sure by then if if that's the same year that Robert Maxwell Robert Maxwell tumbled off the the boat famously but financial financial securities restored but but Terry took then took a lesser role didn't he in the team and and Peter Shreve came back in taking over as manager and and that then became a a bit of a struggle league wise for the for the rest of that season yeah indeed um no, I, I obviously knew Peter Shreve very well Terry Terry asked me about Shreve the um I think obviously Terry's idea was to to move into a more uh, the director role and uh, he asked about Peter Shreves and uh, obviously you know, Peter is a Spurs man through and through and a wonderful coach and a great character um, I don't think it really suited him being the, the manager to be honest and so um, it didn't really work out as you said you know the, the, the league form that season I, I was injured a, a fair amount that year we had a, a run in the Cup Winners Cup where we, we were a bit unfortunate to lose to Feyenoord uh, over two legs, but it, it was it was a, it was a season of missed opportunity. Really, uh, we felt like Gordon Jury was a great signing. I thought, um, did we really make the most of him? No, not really. Um, I thought, you know, again, if we could have just strengthened in a couple of other places, then uh, we could have pushed on again. But you know, it's classic Tottenham. You know, a season of missed opportunity, a season of rebuilding. You know. They seem to happen quite a lot with us, and uh, that, that was certainly one of them. And we have Forrest again in a in the semi-finals, I think, the League Cup that year. Forrest was strange, isn't it? Because we always seem to go to Forrest and either win or draw. They always seem to come to White Hart Lane and win or draw. We could never yeah. beat them at home, and they could never beat us up there. But the second leg, if I remember rightly, was delayed for several hours with with a bomb, bomb scare closing the stadium. Yeah. Yeah, surreal, absolutely surreal. We were sitting on sitting on the bus out, out by the library, just in the corner a bit by the, where the old Spurs shop used to be, um, sitting out on the bus there for a couple of hours, just just waiting for the for the OK to go back in and, and play the game. Yeah, soaking wet, people outside the ground, absolutely torrential rain, if I remember rightly, that day as well. Worst, yeah. worst possible day to be stuck outside for hours. Yeah, yeah. Of course, Dave, as well. I mean, that saw your only take to European football as we st- as we faced, I think, Stockerau, if I'm pronouncing that right, and Hadjuk split. Porto in a memorable 3-1 win at, at the lane before the defeat to Feyenoord. Do you regret being unable to play more European football? And how does that kind of make you feel in terms of different to what the European nights are to the normal domestic games during your period at the club? Yeah, like you say, we had a memorable game against Porto. Feyenoord was a was a great you know atmosphere, and, and if we could have just nicked a goal, I think we'd have gone and won that. But um, yeah, you know, we we would have qualified for the UEFA Cup when we finished third. Um, 
and yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah. You know, listen, I, I don't have regrets as such because if somebody told me when I was little that I'd played 335 times for Tottenham, then I'd have snapped your hand up. I'd have taken one. Um, but it, it, you, you, yeah, it, I'd like to have played more European games. Uh, they, they're magical nights. You know, I remember being in, in the crowd in 1984 um, to lift the UEFA Cup on your home ground. You know, it's just just incredible and that, the atmosphere that night was was as good as I can remember anywhere. And that summer, 1992, saw the arrival of two players who'd become massive massive for Tottenham and England, both Darren Anderson and Teddy Sheringham arrived that summer. So it, it kind of suggested Spurs were, were ready to go into the market, bring in some big names, although we lost Gary Lineker that summer. We finished top half, but we had to deal with yet another FA Cup semi-final defeat to Woolwich. Just how painful was that at Wembley two years on from such a high of, of beating them? Yeah, horrible. I mean, I, I had a funny injury in, in, in that season. We, we played Leeds away early in the season. Leeds were champions and Cantona was still there. And uh, 0-0 at half-time, doing all right. And then it, it was the year the back pass rule came in. And Eric Torsford didn't like that. It, it, it didn't suit him at all, the back pass rule. Um, anyway, he got caught on the ball. Rod Wallace scored just after half time and we ended up losing the game 5-0. Kant and I got a hat-trick, I think. And um, towards the end of the game, he's showboating a bit. And I'm thinking, oh, this is winding me up. So I tried to leave one on him, end up kicking the bottom of his boot and broke my foot. So uh, I missed I missed about four weeks with a broken foot. Came back and played and everything was fine and, and we were having a good cup run. And we've beaten Wimbledon at home in a feisty game, a bit of a begrudge match. Um, and funny enough, in the home return game against Leeds, which was just just in between, um, just leading up to the to the quarter final, which was away at Man City, I was just jogging, just jogging across the ground, and I felt my foot click—the same foot that I'd broken against Leeds earlier. I just felt it click. No one near me. Um, it turned out that it, uh, it had never healed, actually. It was a non-union, um, so I had to then have an operation. I missed the rest of the season, and that obviously included uh, the, the semi-final against Arsenal, the one we lost, and uh, that was so frustrating being at Wembley that day on crutches because we were better than them. Uh, we had a really good, exciting young team and didn't deserve to get beat, to be honest, and, and it, it was a hard one to take, especially from the sidelines. Dave, that season also saw the off-field battle start between Alan Sugar and Terry Venables. How difficult was that time with the players who presumably most of them sided with Terry? Yeah, of course, yeah, because we didn't really... We'd, we'd met Alan Sugar a couple of times, but didn't really know him. Um, but everybody loved Terry, you know. It would, you know Terry was, was the, the manager of the, you know, and the big reason for a lot of players being there was Terry. So... Um, of course, nearly all the playing staff would have sided sided with him. If you, you know, when when they're asking people to take sides, we, we knew and really loved and respected Terry. So that that was the way the players all felt about it. Well, that's right or wrong. It's difficult to say, but that's just the way. You know, you, you're gonna as a player. I think that's just the way it's gonna fall. Um, there were obviously reasons why Alan Sugar felt that Terry had to, had to go, um, and. You know, it's just another real shame because, as I just said, we had a really good young team, exciting young team that was looking like it was going to going to really take off. And with the right sort of additions and the right sort of um, leadership, it, 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 you know, it, it really, really was exciting and, and a team that could have just grown and grown throughout that decade. 
It feels almost like the current <laughs> the current scenario, Dave. Well, uh, it's, no, it's something that happens to, to happen to us regularly. Yeah, yeah. So that that summer, Aussie re- comes in to replace Terry, uh, but the season starts okay. But then Teddy picked up a, a terrible injury, and just a few weeks after we'd sold Gordon Jury on, and we then played twenty four games. We only win three of them, fail to score in in most of them. We absolutely plunged down the table and become embroiled in a in a relegation battle. And probably the most important goal of your Spurs career, a second goal in that 2-0 win at Oldham as, as we win our penultimate match, which, had we lost, results on the last day would actually have sent us down. And that's got to be the most tense game you played him. And, and I'm sure you'd probably think that's probably the, the biggest goal you scored for us. Yeah, it was a big goal. Um, I'd missed a lot of that season for injury as well. I think my injury kind of mirrored Teddy's um, in terms of when, when, when and how many, how many games I missed. Um, and I came back into the team in maybe the last six or so games and we were struggling. You know, confidence was 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 low at gone. And um, it's a real struggle when you when you get into a rut like that. It's very, very difficult. Uh, having said that, we went to Oldham. That, it was a rearranged game. We'd gone up there earlier in the year and I think it was... It nearly always snowed up there or something. So uh, the, the game was called off previously, and uh, which actually turned out well for us. Um, we went up there, I think it was a Thursday night game, live on Sky, and we really fancied it. They were in big trouble as well, and we knew that if we beat them, it would send them down pretty much. So it, it was quite, you know, if, we, if it had been a game against a team with nothing to play for, it probably would have been even harder. But I feel turned the pressure on them. And uh, we won quite well in the end. Um, but yeah, it was a big goal, big goal, second goal. Um, enjoyed it. Dave, Jürgen joined that summer, a huge coup for the club. What were the big differences in his game compared to Teddy's and Gary Lineker's? Yeah, that's interesting. Jürgen was sharp all around the pitch, uh, made clever runs. Um, it was it, it's different, very different to Teddy in that Ted, Teddy would drop it into pockets of space, whereas Jürgen would always look to run in behind. Um, his movement uh, in the box when the ball was in wide areas just to get a yard of space was similar to Lineker's. Um, he was fantastic in the air. Um, he, he, he had everything all round. You know, stronger than you probably give him credit for physically. No, no problem physically with the game, could deal with defenders. Uh, in that side of it, but he uh, just just the all roundness of of him as a player was 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 outstanding. As well as Jurgen coming in, we also signed the Romanians Giga Popescu and Anili Dimitrescu after they'd starred in that uh, fantastic Romanian side in the World Cup. And an exciting team was being formed, the the, the famous five. But it it quickly unravelled with defeats at Leicester and home to Forest four one. 5-2 defeat at City was was followed immediately by a 3-0 horror show in the League Cup at, at Notts County. Just how difficult and demoralising was it to have so much talent in the side and yet appear so chaotic at the time? And, and did Aussie do any defensive sessions in training? Uh, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. And that, you know, is, it, uh, <laughs> it, Aussie, Aussie's a great guy, really great, great guy. And um, a brilliant coach as well, actually. And you know, still to this day, we we speak about it, and, it, and it's it's fine. I, I, Steve Perriman was assistant manager, and I know Steve was was quite frustrated um, because, as you said, you know, the, the group of players we had 
it should have, you know, didn't take it wouldn't have taken much and didn't take much really to to turn it into a really effective team. And it was a shame really because Aussie, uh, say stubborn's the wrong word, but you know he, his principles are his principles. We trained him was very relaxed. He would, he would um, give give the players great freedom to express themselves while playing, but. Um, there wasn't a plan B, you know. Things that you, a lot of our play was off the cuff, and when it's good, it's good. But when you, you, you know, it's not always going to be good, and you always need a bit of structure to your, to your team for when you, you're not on, you know, on total form. So, you know, even looking at the team, the great teams now, Man City and Liverpool now, they, they don't, they're not outstanding every week. Liverpool, um, for the, you know, the last couple of months really ground out a few results, but. That's because they've got a structure. They've also got brilliant players, and when they're all on fire, it's a terrible thing to watch. And that was like us, but we didn't have that structure to fall back on, and um, and that, that was a real shame because I'd loved, I would have loved Aussie to have been successful with that group. It would have been, would have been fantastic. I was out of the team, and uh, it was frustrating for me because I kind, of, I kind of felt and I knew that I could bring something to that team in terms of organisation, in terms of a disciplined midfielder. Um, and I honestly felt that my my presence in the team would have, would make us a more successful team. So it was very frustrating for me. But the, the security in the side came when when Jerry Francis took over, and, and Jerry actually turned it around pretty quickly, and we went on a great run. And we spoke to Darren Anderson just a few weeks ago, and and he himself said the biggest disappointment of his Spurs time came that season with the the semi final loss to Everton after we'd. We'd won that famous quarterfinal at Anfield. Is that also your biggest disappointment in terms of a single game at Spurs in that time? Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Um, yeah, it hurt a lot that one. Um, yeah, just going back to Jerry coming in. It, it, as I said to you about, about Aussie, he you know, it didn't need much. You know, Jerry came in, and, and there was a lot of fuss made at the time about oh, you know, we were doing these terrible Tuesdays and doing a lot more running. And yeah, we did do a lot more running in training, but actually, it was just about you know just just focusing on on just a little bit more on tactics, a little bit more on shape, and a little bit more on on how to defend as a group as, as well as going forward. And what we what we still had was the freedom that of the players that Aussie brought in and then that, that that flair but just coupled with a bit of realism from from Jerry and, and a bit more of a pragmatic approach but we still had all that flair and, it, and very quickly as you said the results turned around and you know the, the, the win at Anfield was was one of the best um, performances I've been involved in one of the best games I've been involved in I was involved best in best birthday present I ever had I think that was it was, it was, it was amazing wasn't it <laughs> Yeah. Just a brilliant, a brilliant, brilliant game, and and, and and that's one of the great places to play football and to, to play like we did and win was was a thrill. Off the back of that, the semi final, as you said, was 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 awful. Was just dreadful. Um, we didn't play great. Um, I think it was a bit of a stitch up from the FA. In fairness, having to go and play at Leeds, which is not really a semi final ground. Uh, Everton had three sides of the ground, and it felt like an away game. That's having exactly said, what Darren said, wasn't it, Rick? Having said, having said that, Darren said the same we, thing. We yep. Didn't, we didn't perform, and that's that's the really frustrating part. Mm, fascinating, I say, it's fascinating on that. Um, Dave, Jurgen was sold to Bayern that summer, 
but Teddy formed a decent partnership with Chris Armstrong. But perhaps it was stung by Jürgen's departure. It was a period in which Alan Sugar became suspicious of high-profile overseas signings, and that started a real mediocrity for Spurs, which, to be fair, it's taken years to recover from. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, yeah, it, it's a shame. You know, Chris did, did you know, had a decent record, but um, yeah, as well as you know, we, we didn't we didn't sign anybody to replace Jurgen Klinsmann. You know, Chrissy Armstrong came in and did well, decent striker. But you know, when when you know, they are the other lot, got Bergkamp and there's uh, Zola's coming to Chelsea, and those sort of players are about. You know, we we you know the club that should have those sort of players is Tottenham Hotspur, and we didn't, and and that Carlos that, kicker, weren't they, David? That, yeah, that, that that pragmatism that we spoke about with Jerry um, was fine when it was mixed with the flair of the Aussie team, but the the less you know, the more flair you take away, and the more pragmatism you put in, it becomes stale and boring. And um, I think the, the players since that, you know, the the, the the likes of Teddy would would have seen that and felt that, and I think that that would would have been a lot of the reason why Teddy went to Manchester United when he did. The fact that he couldn't see Spurs kicking on, couldn't you know we weren't signing the sort of players that Spurs should be signing, and it, it, it was difficult. And as much as I love Jerry, I've got a lot of time for Jerry Francis. I, I, I think that, um, uh, that his his style wasn't the Tottenham Hotspur style, and it, it, you know, the success that he had was because of the players that he inherited and the, the flair that, that, that Aussie had. And then that, that mixed in with what Jerry gave it was a brilliant recipe. But the more it went towards the Jerry team, it, 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 was, it was less and less like a Tottenham Hotspur team. Dave, you were still at the club in 1997 when Christian Gross took over from Jerry Francis after we went on a run of just one win in 11 games. We were coming broad in yet another relegation battle despite the arrival that season of Ginola and Ferdinand you were to start only three league games under Gross was that purely down to injuries and how difficult did the players find it under Christian Gross who seemed very early on to kind of lose the dressing room clashing with Gary Mabbott on a few occasions and we actually spoke to Ramon Vega as well who to be fair he also said that Christian Gross that that period in charge it was a very very tough time for the club where maybe any manager would have found it hard to come in at that time yeah yeah, I don't, it wasn't an easy job to walk into, that's for sure. Um, I don't think he upped himself. He fell out with with Jurgen and with Gary Mabbott quite quickly, which you know it's, it's quite difficult to fall out with both of them because they're both they're both great great people. And um, I don't know how he managed it, but he managed to fall out with both Gary and and Jurgen quickly. And that's not going to do you any favours when you when you when you come in and you want to um, you want to be successful straight away. Listen, some of his coaching was was fantastic. Some, a lot of his training was was brilliant and and new, and and you could see that there there was stuff there that we'd never done before, and you could see that it it, it was good stuff, and and a lot of the training I enjoyed very much. But I just don't think he knew how to deal with the players, um, and you can see straight away that it wasn't going to work for him. Pretty quickly, you can see that it wasn't going to work for him. I think he was a bit unlucky. He, he wasn't able to bring in his number two. For quite a long time, and that that didn't wouldn't have helped him. He might have felt quite lonely um, in the in the role to start with. But, he did have a tube ticket, though. Yeah, yeah I mean, listen, it, if he'd have gone on the one the league title, that would have been a, you know, everyone would look back and say what a genius stroke that was. But because yeah. it didn't work for him, it, it it looks a bit of a it's just a bit of a comedy thing now. But um, 
listen, I, you know, I started. I only started three games under him, mainly because I was injured when he first arrived. Um, but I think that um, I don't think he was fancying me anyway, and that, and that was obviously the reason why I left uh, at the end of that season because uh, they'd offered me a new contract, which I wasn't overly happy with anyway. But um, the um, the realization that I wasn't going to be part of his plans uh, made me realize that I was going to have to leave. That, that was going to be my next question. Whether that that last appearance for you came against Everton on on April the fourth, nineteen ninety eight, and and, and you just answered it. I was going to say, did you realise that was going to be the end of your season or was you still looking forward to a pre-season? Uh, no, I think by that time, uh, I, I realised that, that I wouldn't be at Tottenham next season. Um, just purely, as I said, because the, man, the manager made it quite clear that uh, he, he wanted uh, Gary, Mabbott um, and Jürgen and myself. I think he was. It's fair enough. It's fair enough. You come in and the team wasn't exactly flying and so he probably looked at him and thought right I'm going to try and freshen it up and and so now I'd been there 12 years and and Mabs obviously longer and, and Jürgen who is a, is a massive part of the club he probably thought to himself right I need to these these are the people I want to either phase out or sell or or, or, or just try and do without so um, that's, that's fair enough and that's what managers have to do I, I hold no grudges and I'm not bitter about it at all I, just, I didn't want to leave um, I still felt I had something to offer, um, but it was just this, that was the situation, and, and unfortunately, um, I had to start thinking about where, what to do next. And you, you moved on to Southampton, although you only actually played nine games for them. But the Spurs in you were still present when your your only goal for Southampton came against Woolwich. And is it just a sweet play in scoring against them, even though it's with a different club? Yeah, yeah, it was brilliant. It was, my, it was my, obviously my best moment for Southampton was was scoring the equaliser in a one-all draw against Arsenal at Highbury. And um, there's two things I claim from that. The, uh, Southampton stayed up by one point that season, so I claim that as my as the point that I got at Highbury. But also Arsenal lost the league by one point as well, so I claim that as well. <laughs> Fantastic, <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Uh, Dave, you eventually moved back into grassroots football with your hometown club, Guildford. And I also believe some time you spent with Haven and Waterlooville. Was that coaching roles you were doing there? Uh, well, the Guildford one, yes. Um, Guildford's my hometown, as you rightly said. And, and it many years ago, I had a senior football club, which went defunct in the early 70s. And I was involved in trying to get it going again. It was quite difficult. They had no ground and... Um, it was it was a bit of an uphill battle with the council, but uh, the the club's going. It's in combined counties. Uh, they're doing all right. I'm not involved anymore. But I was involved at the beginning, trying to get them going again, and and played a few games for them as well, which I enjoyed. Um, having a Waterlooville, I, I just I went down there as a favour for um, my brother was playing there at the time, and the manager Ian Baird, there's a good mate of mine, um, just asked me if I'd go and play. I played one game. Broke, I, broke, I played one game, broke my collarbone, and. Uh, Thought that I'd better not do that anymore. Was that Gareth who was there yeah. then? Yeah, Gareth. Of course, was he 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 was at Tottenham as a as a kid as well, wasn't he? That's right. Yeah, yeah. Gareth was goalkeeper. Um, didn't play in the first team at Spurs, but um, was there a couple of years. Signed had uh, signed pro. Played over a hundred league games for Torquay. Uh, had a good career non-league. Played played a lot. Gareth did. Yeah, had a great career. Mm. Of course, you're you're still a regular face on on match days. Uh, at White Hart Lane, and of course he was in Madrid. 
But if you could change the outcome of one of your playing days or that match day in Madrid, which one would you choose? Oh, match day in Madrid. I mean, crikey. The build-up to that, the three weeks that we had, I mean, I know, I don't think it probably did us any any good from a playing point of view. Um, not them in Venice, but um, the three weeks we had just dreaming that if we won it, it was just sensational, just thinking we could be the champions of Europe here. And so... Um, yeah, if we could change that outcome, then uh, that would have been the one. And Dave, before we kind of go to quick fire questions, I've got to ask you, you have played at that new stadium. What was that like for you playing on that Legends event? Absolutely incredible. We uh, we all had the most amazing day. Um, least of all, just seeing all the lads together, seeing Gaza, who was on great form. Um, just, just amazing, really. To be able to do that at 52... Uh, to be able to play in front of a crowd like that, just to just to be able to do that was such a privilege and, a, and an honour. Just um, amazing, really. Got some quick fire questions to finish up on. Is that okay if we just quickly do these? So these are one word answers. So, favourite ever game? Well, it's Arsenal semi final, 91. Best goal? Best goal? Yes. Uh. Seldom seen on TV volley against Burnley at home in the League Cup. I think it was about 93. Brilliant, fantastic. Favourite away ground? Um, I used to love playing at the Dell. Okay. Um, so, but I'm, actually, I'm probably going to say Anfield. Okay, fair enough. That's fair. Um, player signing that you were most excited about? Yeah. Okay. Player we should never have sold? Chris Waddle. Okay. And a player you thought would become a manager, but never did or hasn't yet? Teddy, probably. I know Teddy's had a go, but mm. I thought Teddy, I still think Teddy could, could be a very, very good manager. Okay. I know Jason's got an interesting uh, query to ask you, so I'm going to hand over to Jason. Jace? Yeah, we're going we're gonna to quickly pick your, the dream team of players you play with. So, your manager, you can have Shreves, Venables, Aussie, Francis or Gross. Yeah, Terry Venables. In goal, we got Clements, Torsvet or Ian Walker. Ray Clements. You got Chrissy Hewitt or Gary Stevens or, or Stephen Carr at right back. Really? Could also, how many games did you play with Stevie? Stevie Perryman. Well, probably just the one. The, the, my debut. It's, uh, I, I mean, uh, listen, I only played a couple of, maybe once with Glenn Hoddle as well. So yeah. it, it'd be hard not to have Glenn. Um, defensive, I can't, uh, yeah, a tricky one. Left back, probably. Um, you say left back or right back? Right back. Goodney um, Bergson would have played quite a few games at right back as well. Can I abandon now? He played right back in the cup final, didn't he? Justin at left. I think he did. So, in which case, we'll go with Mitchell Thomas or, or Justin Edinburgh at left back. Then I'll go with Justin. Blessing. And you, you got your centre halves. You can have Mabbott, Sedgley, Razor Ruddock, Ramon Vega, Chrissy Fairclough, or or any of the other ones you'd have, you'd have gone for. What was your pairing? Yeah, well, obviously Gary Mabbott. Um, I, I thought Richard Goff was a was a fantastic player. Um, that's it. Listen, I know I know we, we don't talk about Sol Campbell, but um, you know. It, if he hadn't have left the way he left, then Sol Campbell would be in there as well. But um, no, I'll go for Richard Goff and Gary Mabbott. And then you're in the centre of midfield and you've got Ozzy or Mickey Hazard or, or Gazza alongside you. 
Well, Gaza, of course. Have I got to play? <laughs> yeah, you're, no, you're definitely <laughs> playing. <laughs> this time, mate. And, and if Gaza's alongside you, we might need that the little bit of defensive nous as well in there. <laughs> On the right wing, you got Paul Allens or Stevie Hodges or Darren Andertons. Uh, we'd have Darren Andertons, definitely. Going with Darren. And then on the left side, you got Chrissy Waddle or David Janola. Waddle. Go Waddle. Right, OK. And then your, your final one, you've got your two strikers. You've got Lineker, Sheridan, Klingsman or Ferdinand. Yeah, difficult, that. Very, very difficult. Um, crikey. Very tricky. You can't leave Teddy out. So, Teddy and... I'll go for Teddy and Jürgen. Very unlucky. So we'll leave Lineker on the TV doing the doing the panel job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, listen, David, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you so much for letting us relive your time at the club. Thank you once again for joining us. Absolute pleasure, lads. Cheers, mate. Oh, you've been a star. Jace, thank you as always. Yeah, pleasure speaking to, to somebody that played 287 times for us and, and I would have seen a hell of a lot of those games. So it's always nice to talk to the players from, from my era, that's for sure. Listen, David, we wish you all the best and fingers crossed life gets back if it can do to some kind of normality in the very near future. Yeah, best wishes and love to everybody. Sports Social Podcast Network.